We are in Surah 38, which is Surah Saad, and Ayah number 21. If you're following the uh, Zaki Hamad translation, it's page 763. وهل أتاك نبأ الخصب إذ تصور المحراب الله سبحانه وتعالى منشنز داود عليه السلام as one of his servants someone whom Allah gave immense power physical strength who is able to mold iron with his hands he had tremendous sonar strength with his sound and his voice. He was able to subjugate the mountains and the birds with his voice. And uh, he was someone who um, ruled over people. And his rule was fortified and consolidated, as the ayah says, ayah number 20. Along with that, he was given intellectual power, the power to be one who could judge correctly and accurately. So he was given the ability to settle disputes. And this is the height of intellectual power, where your hikmah and your wisdom uh, helps you decide in court rulings. So we see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has endowed Dawood with all of these wonderful abilities and along with that he was a very repentant person, a person who always turned to Allah in his dhikr, in his ibadah, in his recitation. So he is a devout worshipper as well as a devout servant. He served Allah and he served people. The following story is one of those enigmatic stories of the Quran where there's not too much detail in the Quran about the story. And there are some riwayat, traditions of the Prophet that may help elucidate but uh, we don't have too much confidence in those traditions. But the Quran leaves the story somewhat vague, and uh, maybe that's the purpose. Not everything needs to be explained the way we would hope. It's not a book of history, nor is a book of historical data and facts. The Quran doesn't do all that. Hmm. So the Quran will mention something for a reason and not give the specific details whereas people who wrote the Old Testament gave specific details to every story that they wrote about 
We don't do that. Allah revealed the story to the Prophet ﷺ for a reason or for multiple reasons and did not mention these specifics. Even in the story of Yusuf ﷺ, which is a long story, one whole story, many details and specifics are omitted. So we should not read the Quran as a storybook. It's not a storybook. Nor should we read the Quran as a book of history where everything is documented uh, with factual data and so on. We should read the Quran as a book of dhikr. And that is the beginning of the surah. Sa'ad wal Quran dhikr Sa'ad and by the Quran which is a book of dhikr a book of remembrance, a book of reminder that the objective of revelation is not for you to sit down and get into the nitty-gritty details uh, of every detail, every story that the Quran refers to. That is, I would assume, a waste of time. Mm. Yeah. So the Quran doesn't mention any specific detail about the story. And we will read the story as is mentioned in the Quran. You can use a hadith if the hadith are authentic and they go in line with the moral of the story. So this is a story. Has the story of the disputants come to you? Khasm are those who have a dispute and those who are fighting usually in court. So has the story of the court case has it come to you? Mm. When they climbed the mihrab and the place of worship of Dawood, mihrab refers to the place of worship as translated here, the sanctuary, mm. where it's usually the front of the sanctuary, which is called the mihrab, not the whole one. So Dawood was in the habit of worshipping Allah a portion of the night which I mentioned last week. So in that portion of remembering Allah and worshipping Allah Allah Taala sent two people to do something that Dawood would do in the day. It's going to mess up his schedule. <laughs> right. This is my time for Ibadah. This is my time. This is my personal time, my private time. So what they did, they scaled the walls because apparently the guards would not let them through the main doors at that time of the night. So they'd have to go through the other way. And the only other way was to climb the walls. So it's al-mihrab. When they climbed the walls of the mihrab, so that much is mentioned in our hadith that he would allocate certain times for ibadah and certain times for family and certain times for everything else. So the purpose of this story will be highlighted, inshallah, at the end. When they walked upon or came upon, entered upon Dawood all of a sudden, the word id refers to being something which is done suddenly. All of a sudden, they entered upon Dawood, and Dawood was not expecting any person. 
to be there with him at the time of his ibadah. He was in isolation and quarantine. So obviously as he is not expecting anyone and all of a sudden he sees two people standing in front of him, he becomes perturbed. So he's alarmed by them. Yeah, he's slightly apprehensive. He's taken aback. How are these two people here? Number one and number two, why are they here? They're not supposed to be here. They say, don't be afraid. You don't have to be afraid of us. We are not here to harm you or to assassinate you. We are here for a very specific reason. It's something that you do throughout the day. Anyway, Khosmani. We are two disputants. We are people who have come with a dispute and we want to sit down with you and have you rule and judge so that we can go and then take care of our business and affair the way we should. One has committed injustice over the other. So there are two people. One is the plaintiff the other is defended. The plaintiff has a claim and the defendant is defending. So obviously one is right and the other is wrong. So Dawood, since he is a judge as well as a ruler, he has to decide who is right and who is wrong. Who is unjust and who is the one who is wronged. And they're asking him to do this on the spot without referring to notes, without referring to the background without listening to anything else is just their word uh, against each other. Okay. Which is very difficult that when you are uh, judging between two people, the Prophet said you would rather be fleeced alive than to be a judge between two people. So he didn't encourage the Ummah to become judges. Hmm. He warns the Ummah that if you judge and you get it wrong, then you will be guilty of a wrongdoing yourself. So Dawood being a Nabi of Allah knew and understood the etiquettes of ruling and judging. He knew and understood the repercussions of not ruling with justice and he knew and understood the sin in being uh, partial and being biased or prejudiced. So he knew all that and he was not in the mode and mood of judging because he was in the mode and mood of, mood of ibadah and worship of Allah. So you need to change your mode and mood too, which is sometimes difficult. Yeah. So now rule amongst us with the truth. Judge according to the truth. So now these are people two human beings, presumably, and uh, they are asking him to judge between two, and they're telling him uh, that you must do this with justice. Mm. Yeah. Don't, go, don't go overboard. Do not transgress. Do not go against the rules of justice. So uh, they're warning Dawood as if they are advising him. At the same time, they're asking him to rule and judge between them, which is very bizarre, very strange. Right? So usually you're at the court's mercy when you're in front of the judge. 
Here, they're not at the court's mercy. They're telling the court what to do. Right. And that's why those commentators who prefer that these are angels might have a point. Whether that's right or wrong, we don't know. But according to <coughs> more definite research, it seems that they are human beings. And this is just a, a mode of conversation that they would use in those days and even today when you have arbitration. You tell the person who is now uh, arbitrating that to be careful that you don't sway this way or that way. You go with the evidence and you go with what is the truth. Yeah. And guide us towards the right path. The path that is the even one. Sawa means even, that which is equal, equal path. This is right and this is wrong. So these two people come and they climb the wall while Dawud is engaged in ibadah. Dawud is slightly bewildered and alarmed and even perhaps a little bit frightened. And they say, don't be frightened and rule and judge and follow the right path in your judgment. What is their case? The case is even more bizarre than their introduction. Inna hadha akhi. This is my brother. One speaks. Presumably the plaintiff. The plaintiff is speaking. This is my brother, not in blood, but in deen. Right? Yeah, he's not his blood brother. This is my brother. Lahu tis'un wa tis'ur na'ajah. He has 99 ewes, hmm, sheep. Whereas, oh, I have only one. He has 99 and I have one. Hmm. Uh, you see later on in the ayah 24, you will see that they were business partners. So through their business, they were able to procure these animals, the, the sheep. And one received 99, and the other received one. Yeah. So the one who receives 99, he's saying that give this one over to me. Meaning, hand me over the one you have, because I have 99. So give me one. I can take care of it for you. And he is overbearing, and he is overpowering me with his address, and with his speech, and his ability to debate. Khitab here refers to debate. And that through his ability to debate, he is overwhelming me, he is overpowering me, and he seems to have convinced me that I must give away my one sheep so that he can take care of it with the 99 he has even though legally this is mine and it's not his. Mm. So through the magic of speech and the magic of being a hair-splitting lawyer, mm. he's able to convince me that this is the right thing to do. Yeah. So this is the plaintiff who is now talking. The defendant is not speaking. The person who has 99 hasn't said anything. 
and he's not talking, in fact, he's not even mentioned here. قَالَ لَقَدْ ظَلَمَكَ بِسُؤَالِ نَعْجَتِكَ إِلَى نِعَانٍ now thinks and he renders the following judgment that indeed you have wronged your brother or he has wronged you in asking you to hand over yours to his by combining the two he has wronged you this should not be the case where you own one that is legally yours he owns 99 those are legally his he can't assume that legally he has a right to procure yours also without any payment or reimbursement or without any other form of agreement whether he wants to rent it from you so that he can take care of uh, whatever and you can take care of the milk or whatever the agreement may be yeah and there are so many partners who transgress over each other, who commit injustice over each other. Meaning in the nature of business, there's always going to be some form of immoral practice, and there's going to be some form of injustice, and greed will take over the contract, and people will try to overwhelm and convince others that this is not theirs but theirs and then the business goes sour and then people get into disputes and fights and they start killing and murder and everything else so it stems from the idea that one party is willing to commit injustice over the other even though there is a partnership where you work on the agreed upon contract and you go your, your way Whatever Allah gives you in your share, you take, and whatever Allah does not give you, you leave. Except those who believe and do good deeds. So Dawud is saying, as a general rule, those who have faith in Allah on the Day of Judgment, and they are God-fearing, and they know the repercussions of injustice, and they know the repercussions of stealing and robbing, people of their shares and of their right, they are now spared from this. They don't behave this, this, this way because they do good deeds. Yeah. So Allah Taala mentions this as a rule in business that invariably people will end up doing this because uh, money breeds greed and then greed uh, develops whatever evil it develops as we see in the world today, with all the other court cases going on in the country. Yeah. Well, it's all greed, it's all business, and it's all concealing uh, your money and hiding your money and not paying your due share of whatever it is you're supposed to pay. But then Dawood says, And there are so few. So there are very few business partners who deal with justice. So Dawud al-Islam being a ruler is uh, observing this and he's mentioning this to these two people who are basically trespassing. Right. So their crime is that they are trespassing. Number one. 
number two, their crime is that they've come to Dawood at a time when he is engaged in ibadah and he has not set this time for uh, settling disputes and managing the affairs of the people. So that is their crime. So now you have to work out where the Quran is saying the following. And Dawood then believed and he realized that uh, Allah was testing him. We were testing him. So you have to work out where is the test. On one side you're not supposed to enter uh, the palace or the rooms of the king, the ruler, without permission. But they did that. They climbed the walls. Climbing the walls means you're trespassing. Number two, that time was not allocated for disputes. It was allocated for the worship of Allah. And then, Dawud uh, he rules and he judges at that time, even though he does not mention that they were trespassing. So you look into every angle, every aspect of the story, and then you have to work out where the test is. Where is Allah testing him? So, some Mufassirun go off, go off on tangents and they relate these stories uh, that are so far-fetched, they're not worth mentioning about Dawud al-Salam and what he did. And so, the case about the woman and this and that, uh, all that is nonsense. We won't believe in that. From the Quran, you must work out where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is taking our mind and why is mentioned here uh, that Allah is testing or has tested Dawud al-Salam. So, so these are some of the uh, components of the story I mentioned. And the story is that one partner wanted the share of the other partner. And Dawud al-Salam apparently did not listen to the other side of the story. That might be a case. Where only the plaintiff's claim is mentioned here in the Quran. The defendant's position is not mentioned. Does it mention the defendant's position? Yeah. And when you're ruling and judging, you're supposed to listen to both parties, not just one. So that might be a test. Might be. I'm emphasizing the word might. <laughs> yeah, mustn't let your imagination drag you towards that. Because invariably there are many places in the Quran where certain obvious facts are omitted. Sometimes these bachelors left things unspoken than to speak of them. It is inconceivable that Dawood would rule based on an unjust premise. Right? That's inconceivable. They, the Ambiya don't do that. We don't do that as normal human beings. So that's also another question mark there. So as I said in the beginning, the story is very vague and it's left that vague. And uh, perhaps we may find fodder and inspiration in saying that we don't understand everything that the Quran says. Um, anyway, so here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Dawood now assumes and he believes, the word dhanna may mean assume or may mean believe, that we have tested him. So he sought forgiveness from his Lord. So now the question is, where is the test? Mm. Yeah. 
and then he fell bowing down into Ruku and he came back he repented he turned back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here you have so many uh, variables in the story and you can make a case for each one of them and say okay this is where the test is and this is where the test is and this is where the test is oh it could be all of them all put together only Allah knows but the point is that Dawud felt that he was being tested by Allah. And uh, we believe, some of us believe, that the test was in uh, not being able to allocate time for disputes and uh, preferring worship of Allah over taking care of people. Where worship of Allah, although it may be isolated, uh, it is uh, nafil and taking care of the issues and affairs of people is farb. So he gave preference to a nafil act over a farb act. That is where the test is. And that's most likely the best scenario because you can't really say that Dawud committed a sin. The sin, if there is one, were being given preference to one, something that is nafil over something that is farb which is not technically a sin there is something of a preference and that is where the discussion leads us with the prophets and anbiya alayhim salatu salam that uh, he didn't appropriate time for people assuming that worship of Allah at that time was better than settling disputes so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent him these two people to show him it doesn't matter what time of the day it is if people need you they need you. There's no such thing for a ruler to say this is my time. And that the following the ayah afterwards confirms that understanding. Yeah. We then forgave him for that. Indeed he had with us a great proximity, a closeness and the best of endings. Hustamab. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala favors him after his realization and then makes the statement which clarifies, in my understanding, limited understanding as it is about what the test is. Ya Dawood, inna ja'alna ka khalifatan fil ard. Oh Dawood, we have made you a khalifa on earth. So this statement from Allah saying that you are there to represent us on earth. So when people need you, you must make yourself available, make yourself accessible. You cannot say to yourself, this is my time, uh, this is Allah's time. Your time is Allah's time, one borrowed time. This is the rule for prophets, والسلام, and for the anbiya, and the people who are close to Allah, that they don't need to say and specify, this is my time. Everything belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you're there as a servant of Allah. So when the call is to worship Allah at the time of Salat, then you worship Allah. And when the time comes that you serve people, then you serve people. That's the rule for the prophets. Yeah? Prophets do not do anything based on their own 
women fancy and desire. They don't even speak based on their women desire. They don't speak from their whim. So likewise their lives and their time should be totally exclusively dedicated to the service of Allah. So if the service of Allah calls them to deal with disputes, then they must sacrifice their time of ibadah. Period. No questions asked. They can't say it's my time. So this might be a better way to appropriate all the ayat together and say, this is where the test is, as the issue of ibadah is mentioned in the ayah before it, uh, that he was awab, that he was always returning to Allah. He was very fond of tasbih and praise of Allah. He was very fond of uh, reciting the, uh, the zabur. He was very fond of reciting the zabur which is the Qur'an of Dawud al-Islam, and he will recite the uh, Zabur in a very short time, as mentioned in hadith of the Prophet that when he started to recite the Zabur, it will not take him that long. It will be a matter of minutes before he finish the recitation of the whole Zabur, <coughs> where time was slowed down for Dawud so that Dawud al-Islam will be able to recite the whole of Zabur in a few moments or a few minutes. So he, he was always singing the praise of Allah. He was always uh, energized by tasbih and dhikr of Allah. He was always uh, gravitating towards the ibad of Allah. But then Allah says, that's not why we want you to be you. We want you to be you because we have made you a khalifa, vicegerent. We have made you our deputy on earth. Mm. So this is how we see that Dawud is very similar to Adam. And Adam when he was shown all his children by Allah in the form of ants, he picked out one and said, this one is a very handsome one. I'm very close to this one, it seems. Allah said, this is Dawood, this is David. He says, what can I do for him? So Adam said, I will give him 40 years of my life because he's very close to me. Allah said, okay, give him 40 years of your life. That means we'll take away 40 years of your life. So when the angel of death came to Adam, and said, it's time for you to go. Adam said, I have 40 years left. So the angel said, no, you gave that to Dawood. Your time is up, brother. <laughs> You're out of here. So the Prophet said, Fanasiya Adam. Adam forgot. Then the gene of Adam stayed with his children. His children also forget. <laughs> right. Talk about genes, where we get our traits from. But anyway, we see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, like, likened Adam with Dawood and Dawood with Adam. So they're, they're the same. Adam was a Khalifa, and here Allah says, Dawood, you're a Khalifa, you're a vicegerent, you're a deputy. And this is how you get to. So, so Adam was a Khalifa, cosmologically, for the world and Dawood is now. A khalifa in law is a deputy in law 
and in government and in ruling. So when you're a deputy in law and government ruling, you must take care of the affairs of people before you engage in voluntary worship and voluntary ibadah. That is your ibadah. You don't have a recourse to ibadah except that which Allah allows you to. There the question is, does Allah allow me? It's not whether you want to. You're always inclined towards what is easier. Okay? It's easier for the Nabi to be in worship than to settle the disputes of people. That's easier. All right? Because it's pleasing. And they're always engaged in that. So this where is perhaps where the test is, and Allah knows best. So, O Dawood, we have made you a khalifa. Inna ja'alnaka khalifatan fil ard. Fahkum baynan nasi bil So then rule and judge amongst people with the truth. The truth, that is the ultimate haq of the cosmos, the ultimate haq of sharia, the ultimate haq and the reality of law. <coughs> and order on earth that you must rule and govern this way. So if there is a, a two parties that need your service, you must engage in their service and forget about the other service. Yeah. And don't follow your whim and don't follow anything else that comes to your mind. Follow what Allah provides for you at that moment in time. This is what Allah wants from you. Less that distracts you from the path of Allah. If you follow your whim and say, I want to engage in worship and I don't want to engage with these people, then you may be distracted from the path of Allah. That is not the path of Allah for you at that time. The path of Allah is for you to listen to these people and help them live their lives. This is the Khalifa of Allah. So a Khalifa of Allah does so many things. And when you are a ruler, you are responsible for everything that you rule. You're responsible for the government, you're responsible for governance, you're responsible for everything, including the birds, the animals, and even the mountains. Right? So Dawood was responsible for the mountains, so he sang, and the mountains sang in chorus with him. He was responsible for the birds, so when he sang, the bird would the bird reciprocate and sing with him. So when you're a khalifa, a deputy of God, this way, legally and politically, then you are responsible for everything that is within your kingdom and you must take care of them. Okay. So taking care of the, the mountains was okay for Dawood. He did that. Taking care of the birds, uh, he did that. Take care of human beings, he did that mostly, except at night time. So Allah said, you're going to take care of them at night time also. Right? You're going to take care of them whether you're worshipping God or not. This is what you do. You are God's uh, deputy. This is what you do. You serve Allah and you serve people. It is in the service of people that you will serve Allah. Except when Allah wants you to worship Him, meaning the time of Salat, which is appropriated, at that time you will worship Allah because that's what Allah wants you to do. There's no doubt in that. Other than that, you don't have a choice to do what you want to do, even though it may be in the form of a ritual or nafil, voluntary ibadah and worship. Indeed, those who 
move away from the path of Allah. They will have a severe punishment on the day of judgment because of what they neglect and because of what they forget. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is making a reference to Dawud for the Prophet Muhammad These stories longer than other stories mentioned. So this story of Dawud being a deputy is a prelude to the Prophet becoming a deputy on earth for Allah, which he became in Medina at the latter part of his life. He then ruled and he governed and he took care of people and everything else then uh, came to him and uh, submitted to his rule and to his uh, authority. The Prophet was no less than Dawood in his managing the affairs of people and everything that he governed. We talk about uh, mountains. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's Prophet Muhammad was on Mount Ahad which is outside of Medina, and he was on Ahad. And Ahad, the mount, started to shake. And the Prophet said, you can't shake. The Nabi is on top of you. And then you have a Siddiq with you, meaning Abu Bakr. And you have a Shaheed, meaning Umar is with you. You can't shake. You know, stay calm. <laughs> so he took care of that, the Prophet. The Prophet had a rapport with the mountains. Mountains are part of your life, part of your governance. Your government is part of what you control. Mm. And he said, This Mount Ahad, we love it and it loves us. Mm. So you have a rapport with nature. Right? Animals would come and make salam to the Prophet. As you know, the case of a deer came to the Prophet and said, Salam alaikum. The deer gave a testimony verbally. The Prophet heard it. People around him heard it. And the camel came to the Prophet complaining about the owner abusing it. I'm part of your kingdom, and as being a member of your kingdom, I'm telling you that my owner abuses me. So the Prophet told the owner not to abuse the camel. Right? And then there is the question of the tree trunk, the palm tree trunk against which the Prophet would lean. And then when he chose to extract the trunk, the trunk started to sob and cry and wail loudly. Everybody heard it in the masjid until the Prophet buried it <laughs> as if it was a live thing. So what, what I'm saying is that the issue of Khilafah, that Dawood was a Khalifa and a ruler, came to the Prophet in better ways than it came to Dawood. So if Dawood controlled the mountains with his sound, the Prophet controlled the mountains with his speech. And if Dawood controlled birds and other things, then the Prophet didn't need to do that because they were already in sync with the Prophet. More than that, they came to resolve a dispute. The camel came to the Prophet to resolve a dispute he had with his owner. He's not mentioned about Dawood. 
You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So when you are a ruler of God, then you are in sync with everything that exists because you are ruling. So therefore you have to be careful what you rule, how you rule, how you govern. You are in charge of everything as a Khalifa, as a vicegerent, as a deputy. So it came to all prophets, not just uh, the Prophet Muhammad but it was very much expressed with the Prophet and that is why the issue of ruling uh, is not just ruling people, it's ruling period. You rule everything within your jurisdiction. And that's how Muslims uh, have always ruled whatever they have ruled upon. They would take care of all of these things in their government and through their governance, as we know in our history. Alhamdulillah, mashallah. So this is now how we see that the issue of the, the Qur'an being revealed is an issue that the Qur'an is a book of remembrance and it allows you to remember the one who sends the book, that is Allah. So remember Allah. So it's a book of dhikr, it's a book of remembrance and it reminds you, it reminds you who's in control and who's not in control. And then you have those who go against the word, those who go against the formula of Allah's rule and governance and they may rule for a while, as in the case of the people Allah mentions, okay, the Ad and the Thamud and Fir'aun and Lut and others, they may have ruled temporarily for a while, but then they uh, were destroyed and they perished, and Allah still exists. And then the story of Dawood al-Islam, his governance and his government was universal on earth, that he ruled everything that is on earth the mountains, the birds, and everything else, including people. And Allah then, he, he uh, perfected his rule by sending these two people at a time when he was engaged in the ibadah, the worship of Allah, so that his khilafah is complete. Okay. You must see the story as a completion of Dawood's uh, deputization and Dawood's government. Hmm. It's a completion. If you see the story as anything else, then you will get into these problems that people get into. Hmm. The story is about perfecting Dawood's government. How does one perfect Dawood's government? By making sure that Dawood knows and understands the rules and regulations of a government based on Allah and his rules, and that is that you take care of the affairs of people uh, before you engage in voluntary worship. That's how Dawood's Khilafah is perfected. This story of perfection is not a story of Dawood making a mistake. Okay. Meaning you hold the stick from the right end, not the wrong end. If you hold the stick from saying Dawood made a mistake and Allah forgave him, that's all nonsense. We are Sunnis. Okay? We don't believe in that. We don't believe that prophets make mistakes or they commit sins. We don't do that. Right. Now, whatever the mistake is, Allah says, فَغَفَرْنَا لَهُ ذَلِكَ we forgave him. So if Allah forgives him, who are we to now peck into it and see what was the mistake? We can't do that because if a mistake is forgiven and then the sin is forgiven, if it is a sin, okay, then we must move on and say, well, there's no guarantee that we're forgiven. We could do that if we are guaranteed that our sins will be forgiven. Daud has been confirmed in this world before he dies 
that Allah has forgiven him. And more than that, he has become closer to us. And he has the best of endings. When Allah confirms this about Dawood, then the reader of the Quran must appreciate this statement more than whatever precedes that statement where he says, I want to know what mistake he made. How about the mistakes you make? How about the idea that you want to know what a mistake is? <laughs> right. Yes, I'm sure you have a thousand skeletons in your closet. So you can't go there. Meaning, theologically, when you start to understand the Quran, that's why the Quran leaves the story vague. And that's how the Sahaba understood. They didn't run into these questions. They left as it was. Okay, fine. Allah has confirmed upon Dawood that he has a very special place with Allah. And we must now celebrate Dawood's special place. And what is that? That this is the perfection of his government. Allah completed and perfected the government of Dawood with this story, through this story, through this incident. And we must celebrate it as part of the perfection and not as part of something that is imperfect, which ties in with the next few ayat. The next few ayat talk about the perfection in the cosmos and so on. And then it leads to another story, the story of his son, Suleiman, who apparently made a mistake and then he was, he was also forgiven. Right? So for the mistakes of the prophets, we see them as uh, raising their ranks and uh, perfecting uh, their stations and their status in front of God. We don't see their mistakes as mistakes. Mm, yeah. You have to be careful there. Uh, because now, unfortunately, with the advent of modernization and uh, whatever, human beings want to pick on the mistakes of everybody else except themselves. And they want to say that human beings are human beings that make mistakes. We say these are special human beings and Allah reformed them, refined them, and perfected them. And this is how we see ourselves that we must fall in line with their perfection as humanly possible. Within the realm of being human, you're going to make mistakes. The part of being human is that you learn from your mistakes and you perfect yourselves. So the prophets perfected themselves, and when they didn't, Allah did. Who's perfecting who here? Allah is perfecting Dawood and said, this needs to be perfect. And the way you are going to be perfect is if you understand this story. And then he realized that he had made a mistake. And then he asked for Allah's forgiveness. Allah forgave him. And he raised his ranks even more than what he was already uh, with Allah. Subhanahu wa so anyway, this goes a long way to understanding the mood of the Quran and the mood of revelation. The mood is one of remembrance and reminder. So Allah reminded Dawood whom he was serving. Who was he serving? He was serving God. That's the reminder. And that's the point. The point is not to, as I say, find out what mistakes he made. We'll meet again, inshallah. Next week, there is no session because of your labor day. So enjoy not working on Labor Day.
and we'll see you in two weeks, inshallah. Jazakumullah. Subhanallah, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah.